0: 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 14. The Word of God says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And then I want you to notice verse 25. The Bible says, Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Let's begin by praying tonight. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time and the privilege it is being Your house. I pray that You'd stir our hearts through the preached Word this evening and draw us closer unto You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight on this thought. Pray for us. You know, we think often about prayer. And of course, this is Wednesday night prayer meeting. There ought to be a special emphasis on prayer. And we just sat for a few minutes and listened to many folks give things that uh, if we're being honest, are probably more important to them than they are to us. Isn't that true? Uh, there are things that we may have not known about, or things that we maybe knew, knew about, but it didn't touch our life the way it touches theirs. And we were asked something of all of these people this evening. We were asked to pray for them. To pray for them, for their families, for their loved ones, for their health, for acquaintances, for coworkers. We were asked to pray for them. What is it that we're asking when we ask someone to pray for us? Well, theologically speaking, we're talking about intercessory prayer. Now, intercessory prayer is the activity of praying on another's behalf or praying for a need that is another's need. Now, certainly our prayers can't replace anybody else's prayers. Amen? Uh, Listen, my prayer over something isn't going to replace your lack of prayer over that matter but we do believe that there is scriptural basis for the idea of intercessory prayer, of praying for another person. And I'll just be honest with you, I think this is a practice that is far less present in our churches than we like to let on. I think that there is a great temptation to relegate prayer request time to merely a time when we're airing grievances that we have in life and listening to one another do it. Sort of a, a corporate therapy of, uh, of grief and of things that we listen to one of another. And I just ask you this question tonight. Are you praying for the things you ask others to pray for? Are you praying for the things you ask others to pray for? And are you praying for others' needs while you're asking others to pray for their needs and your needs. I believe intercessory prayer has a biblical foundation. And we'll find three times in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul asked a group of people to pray for them. And I want tonight to preach on this idea, and I want you to notice four simple thoughts. Number one, I want us to notice in the verses we've read tonight, just a few moments ago, that there is a precedent for intercessory prayer. Now, I'll admit to you, there's a lot of mysteries about prayer to me. There are a lot of things I don't understand about prayer. I I don't understand how prayer can move a sovereign God, but my Bible teaches me it does. I don't understand how prayer can reach into the future and touch things that haven't occurred yet, but my Bible teaches me it can. And I don't understand how prayer can reach then into the lives of others and carry them to the throne of grace as your own prayer request, but somehow it does. And if we're seeking to find whether there's a biblical precedent for prayer, I don't think we're lacking for examples of intercessory prayer in Scripture. Certainly, we'd go all through the Old Testament. We'd find that Moses made intercession for God's people. We'd find that Aaron made intercession uh, for God's people. We'd find out the Old Testament priests made intercession for God's people. We'd find that there were times that David made intercession for the people of God. I think of Daniel, who on several occasions prayed for the remnant of the children of Israel and made intercession for them. The idea of praying, not just for yourself and your needs and desires, but praying for others' needs has a clear scriptural foundation. And if we didn't have any example whatsoever, I think simply what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.25 is enough to tell us, number one, that intercessory prayer, praying for another's needs, is scriptural. It's scriptural. It's scriptural to pray for their needs. It's scriptural to pray for their salvation. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, it don't do no good to pray for somebody else's salvation because they have to make the decision. Well, that don't make a lot of sense. Listen, I understand they have to make the decision, but if we never prayed about anything that ever touched on anybody's free will, we wouldn't ever pray about anything. Listen, if you were afraid of, of traipsing on somebody's free will, you wouldn't pray for that raise at work because somebody's going to have to give it to you. Listen, if you didn't believe that you ought to pray in any way that might conflict with a person's free will, you wouldn't pray for your marriage or for your kids because it's going to affect their free will. The fact is, simply because it touches a person's free will doesn't mean that we ought not pray about it. Hey, uh, the hand, of the, uh, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. I'm not saying God's going to make anybody get saved, but I'm saying this, He can sure make the conditions such that it's on their mind. And a decision is forced. And God can sort of, if we can use this terminology, turn the heat up. But even if I don't understand all the machinations of, of praying for another person's salvation, I know it's scriptural because Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. So intercessory prayer is scriptural. Let me say number two, that it is a spiritual activity. So why do you believe that, preacher? Well, for two reasons. One, because intercessory prayer is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans eight twenty six and 27, Likewise, the Spirit itself also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You know, sometimes we don't pray because we don't know what we ought to pray. So, preacher, what should we do? Go ahead and pray anyway, and the Holy Ghost will straighten it out even if you don't know really what direction to go or what you ought to ask for. And I can't tell you the numbers of times that I, as a pastor, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know if I should pray for God's chastisement or God's long-suffering and patience. I don't know if I should pray for God to change the situation or to change me. And I don't know what to pray. Preacher, what do you do? I just pray and say, God, I don't know what to pray. But I know I need you. And the Spirit itself maketh intercession. The Bible says, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit of God is partaking in this activity of intercession. But then let me say, not only is it a work of the Spirit, but it's also a work of the Savior. Because the Bible says in Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And the book of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 7.25 that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Listen, to say it's a waste of time to pray for other people's needs is to say what Jesus does is a waste of time. And to say what the Spirit of God does is a waste of time. I'm not trying to say that it's identical the way that Jesus intercedes and the way that we intercede on another's behalf. I'm just saying it ain't a waste of time, because if it was, then God wouldn't do it Himself. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? We agree it's important to pray for other people. We, We understand it's scriptural. We understand it's spiritual. But here's why we don't do it, because we don't believe this third truth, and that is that it is powerful. That it is powerful. That praying for other people, oftentimes when they don't even have enough concern about it to pray for themselves, is powerful. And here's why I believe that. Because if it wasn't powerful, Paul wouldn't have asked them to pray. (laughs) You ever thought to yourself, well, surely they're praying about it. Why should I pray? They're already praying about it. You ever thought to yourself, well, there's so many people praying for that. But then stop and think about the fact that the Apostle Paul himself was praying for himself. But he said, just me praying isn't enough. I need other God's people praying. And you imagine how many people walking God's earth in this time were praying for the Apostle Paul. How many people he had led to Christ and how many churches he had planted, that every time they met together, and they didn't just meet once or twice or three times a week, they met daily and lifted the name of Paul the Apostle up to God. But everywhere he turns, he says, brethren, pray for us. Because he knows prayer is powerful. And he wants God's people praying for him. Then let me say that prayer is not only, intercessory prayer is not only scriptural and spiritual and powerful, but it's natural. Hey, you might say, preacher, for it to be something that's natural, it sure, sure seems difficult to try to remind myself to pray for the needs of others. That's true, but here's what you have to remember. He said to him, brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Now, there are certain things I wouldn't ask anybody to do for me except family. I'm, I'm just that way. Uh, there are certain things, certain bonds that I might find myself in that I wouldn't ever go to anyone except family. And of course, praise the Lord, I have family I can go to. I realize a lot of people don't. But when you think about this idea of prayer, the reason he uses the term brethren is he wants them to be reminded that they are bonded together with him. And that they have not only the opportunity but the responsibility to pray for each other. You understand, and and I say this with with trembling heart because I'm guilty of it just like you're guilty of it. That to tell somebody you're praying about something you're not is to lie. I'm guilty of it. I know I am. It's part of the reason I try to stop and pray in that moment because I want to be sure I've brought it to the throne room of grace and I know how forgetful I am. And How oftentimes do we look brethren right in the eye and lie straight to them by saying, I'll pray for you. Now, I understand we wouldn't know what to say if we didn't say that. But see, the answer is not to avoid that interaction. The answer is instead to embrace the intercession and to say, if I've said I'll pray for you, I'm going to take time. Even if it's right there in that moment, even if the moment that you walk away, I have to stop and breathe a prayer to God in that moment to make sure I keep my word, I believe we ought to do it. Because it is natural, it is appropriate, it is scriptural, spiritual, powerful, and natural to pray in an intercessory manner. And then turn over to Hebrews 13. I want to give you a second time the Apostle Paul used this term. Hebrews chapter 13. Now, you may not believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and that's fine. It does not bother me. One day when you get to heaven, you'll know I'm right, and I'm patient. I'm willing to wait for that. But I believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And of course, we know it doesn't really matter, because the Holy Ghost wrote the book of Hebrews, just like he did the book of Romans and Hebrews and and First and Second Thessalonians and every other uh, jot and tittle of the Word of God. But I do believe it is Paul writing it. And he says in Hebrews 13, in fact, we talked a little bit about this on Monday night, in verse number 18, he says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And I think in these two verses we have the power of intercessory prayer hinted at. I don't know what was going on in Paul's life at this time. I don't know that anybody knows. I'm sort of the opinion this may have been written from a jail cell. I think Paul spent a lot more of his life in jail than we realize. And oftentimes it may have not been for the years on end that it was towards the end of his life. But I think that uh, probably sometimes for weeks or months he may have spent time in jail or incarcerated that we may not even be aware of. You understand, we only have a snippet of the Apostle Paul's life recorded for us in the book of Acts. We think we have the totality of it, but we, we really don't. I don't know what's going on in Paul's life, but it is evident to me in this passage that whatever was going on, he didn't want it to continue that way. And he says two things. I want you to think about the power of intercessory prayer to do two things. One, intercessory prayer has the power to sustain another individual. He says in verse 18, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, we're in this situation. We don't want to be in this situation. But we trust before God that we are sincere in our hearts in saying that if this is the will of God, we will live here honestly, openly. We will stand for the Lord. We'll be bold in our testimony. And we believe that God is able to sustain us. But he says, but we want you to pray for us. He would say later, and we'll look at it in a moment in Second Thessalonians. he'd ask him to pray for that the Word of the Lord would have a, a free course with them. I believe what he's saying here is this. We're in a tough situation, but we need prayers because we want to stand for God. And let me say to you that we need to be praying for one another, even if there's no particular need that arrests our attention. It's a good practice to have a list of people that you go to church with, and your family, and people that you love, and people that God has burdened your heart with, and you pray for them regularly that God would strengthen, uphold them, and use them for His glory. Because we need prayer that we might be sustained. Of course, my mind immediately goes to Moses as he stood up on the hillside with Aaron and Hur on either side. As he prayed, the battle would go for God's people. As his hands lowered, the battle would go for the enemies of Israel. And Aaron and Hur stood there and upheld his hands. What were they doing? He was doing the work of God and they were sustaining him. What a picture it is of us upholding God's people as we serve the Lord. I think Paul understood that prayer had the power to sustain, but then I noticed, and man, this blessed my heart on Monday night. Look at verse 19. I believe it has the power to change. Look what it says. But I beseech you the rather to do this. Now start and think about what he just said. He said, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience. He's saying, I trust that I know my heart when I say this. I trust that I'm being sincere. In all things, willing to live honestly. We believe that if it's the will of God, we'll stay right where we're at. He says, but I beseech you the rather to do this. In other words, he says, the reason I'm asking you for this is I have a desire for this to change. And what desire is it? He says, that I may be restored to you the, notice this word, sooner. Sooner. I don't know if you realize just what all's meant by that word sooner. In other words, he's saying this, there is a trajectory upon which my life is. And if that's the will of God, then I'm satisfied with it. But I'm asking you to pray because I believe your prayers can change the trajectory or the timeline of my life. Think about this. We live in a world of determinist ideology where people think just whatever is, is, and there's nothing we can do to change it. And listen, there is a lot of people that have taken the notion of God's sovereignty and providence as an excuse to disengage from the responsibility to pray and to serve God. But Paul said, I want you to pray because I believe if you'll pray, something will happen sooner than it would if you didn't. Prayer has the power to change our situation. Prayer has the power to bring something about sooner, or maybe to make it tarry till later. Prayer has the power to reach from heaven and touch this world and move it and mold it and shape it. Prayer is a powerful thing. Listen, prayer is not a a psychological drug of religious people. Prayer is not a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not a placebo that gets us through the struggle of life. Prayer is rightly so the arm through which we can reach out and touch God and it's the means whereby God exercises his influence in this world. Prayer is a powerful thing. Turn over there with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to give you a third thought. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Now here's the question. Okay, preacher, you convinced me. We need to be praying for other people. But here's the question, preacher, what should we pray for? If if there's not some particular request that they have brought to us, and if we have a responsibility to pray for God's people, then what should we pray for? Well, listen, I think Paul gives us a few good ideas in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Look at chapter 3, and we're going to read the first two verses. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course, and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not the faith. I see three things that he says we want you to pray for us for. And there are three things I'd be proud and encouraged and blessed for every person in this room to pray for me for. And I believe if you don't know what to pray about in someone's life, these are three things you can pray for. Any person that knows the Lord, you can pray for these three things. Let me say, number one, I think we ought to pray for them to be fruitful. Fruitful. He says, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course. (laughs) Now, Paul has already said that the Word of the Lord is not bound. But what does he mean when he says may have free course? Literally what it means, that, that term free course, it means to run away with something. Uh, just to run away with something, to be gone, never going to catch it again. And what he's saying is this, I want there to be a clear path for the Word of God as we minister. I want it to have a momentum with which it is propagating through culture and society and the people we're ministering to. I want it to be unimpeded. I want God to go ahead and pave the way for us to minister in the lives of others. I think he's saying, I want to be used of God. And I think we ought to pray for each and every person that we know that knows the Lord. We ought to pray that they'd be used of God for God's glory. We've been giving out these tracts. We ought to pray that God will use these tracts for His glory. We ought to pray for one another that God would give us open doors to hand out those tracts to be effective. We ought to pray for people that are teaching Sunday school classes and people that are working and laboring in ministry. We ought to pray for them that God would use them in a mighty way because we know that it's not about their talent and knowledge and wisdom and ability. It's about the unction of the Holy Ghost using them for God's glory. We ought to pray for them to be fruitful. Then I see a second thing. He says, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course. And then he says this, and be glorified even as it is with you. That's interesting. What a compliment that must have been to this church at Thessalonica. Paul said, hey, we just want God to get glory through His Word in our lives the way He's gotten glory in your lives. And I think that we ought to pray for all of God's people. I'm talking about the ones that we know in a personal manner. I mean, if you want to pray generically for every Christian, God bless you, that's wonderful. But I'm talking about praying for the people in this room right now, the people that are here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, the people that come occasionally, the people that are sick, that are shut in, whoever it might be, the people that we know that know God personally, we ought to be praying for them that they'd be fruitful, but we also ought to be praying for them that they'd be faithful. Faithful. I thought about what Paul must have been talking about. Because he says it like we should know it, doesn't he? He says, even as it is with you. Well, that's good and everything, but I have never been to Thessalonica. And I sure wasn't there way back then. So there must be something in Scripture that tells us what he means. And I found two passages that I think maybe give us a little clue. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he's speaking about how the church at Thessalonica received the Word of God and then began to minister to other places and churches. And he says this, so that ye were in samples. And that's a word for, it's very similar to the idea of an example. He says, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. In other words, they had a good testimony. They had a good testimony. Everywhere Paul went, people wanted to know about that church at Thessalonica because there's on fire for God. Everywhere he went when he brought up the church at Thessalonica, he didn't have to give a word about what God was doing there because everywhere he went, people already knew what God was doing in their midst. Their faithfulness had given them a good testimony. It had given them a good name amongst the world. But then I see that uh, their testimony uh, concerning receiving the Word of God was something I think he was probably talking about. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, it's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. He says about these believers, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I think when he was talking about the Word of God being glorified in him, I think he was talking about them preaching the Word, but I think he was also talking about them practicing the Word. And he was saying, listen, when the Word of God is presented to you, you receive it. You don't second guess it. You don't try to squirm out from underneath it. You just receive it. You accept it. You say, yes, Lord, that's what you're saying to me. And you uh, change your life in accordance with it. We ought to pray that God's people can be faithful in this day that we live in. Pray that they have their hearts and minds open to the Word of God, and pray that they'll be used of God. And then I see a third thing. Uh, look what it says down in verse number two. He says, "And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith." He says uh, we ought to pray for these people and pray for us that we would be fruitful and faithful. But he says, "Pray for us that we'd be fortified and protected, because what we're doing is a dangerous thing. We ought to pray for the safety of God's people." We got you understand that that listen we've got missionaries we've got missionaries going to South Africa very soon they're still on deputation you understand that there there is a, a genocide taking place in South Africa you won't hear people talk very much about it because South Africa was supposed to be the darling state of socialism back in the 90s uh you know after uh, the the apartheid fell and they were going to restructure it as a as a you know a socialist state and uh, so they don't like to talk about it. But uh, they say the Africanner uh, farmers are getting killed at a rate higher than the fatality rate during the Vietnam War was for soldiers. I'm saying that some of our missionaries are going to dangerous places. The Vanden Herks ministering in Petersburg, England. Listen, every day, and in fact, I was seeing an article today about another terrorist attack took place in England. And obviously, America is not uh, exempt or somehow in a bubble from it. We know that from the events that took place. But you understand, it's not uncommon, people walking the streets of England to have acid thrown on them. And you're telling me people that are out in city squares giving out gospel tracts are not a target for that? I'm saying our missionaries are in dangerous situations. We ought to pray for them. But not just them, each and every one of us, in as much as we stand for the Word of God and share the gospel, it can be a dangerous thing. Preacher, what should we do? We should pray for each other and for our safety. I want to give you one final thought, and I'll be done tonight. I see the premise of intercessory prayer here in these next few verses. And I'll admit to you, we don't have a fresh instance of the phrase pray for us. But in the one that we read a moment ago in 2 Thessalonians 3, I think we have an important truth that needs to be conveyed. Notice it again. We'll read it all together, the first five verses of this chapter 3. Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. We have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Here's the question. What is the premise through which we have confidence when we pray in an intercessory manner? Why do we believe intercessory prayer works? Well, I think three reasons. Number one, the Lord's promise. The Bible says the Lord's faithful. Notice what it says in verse 2. It says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. He says, hey, it's rough out here. Folks want to take our life, and we're worried, and we need you need to pray for us for our safety. He says, but the Lord is faithful. And we know that God will keep His promise. Listen, we need to pray because God loves them just like He loves you. <laughs> and if you believe God will answer prayers for your, you, you have every reason to believe God will answer prayers for them as you pray for The Lord's promise. Number two, the Lord's plan. I thought this was interesting language. He says in verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. He doesn't say we have confidence in you. He says we have confidence in the Lord touching, or we might use the term concerning. In other words, he says when we pray about this, whether or not we have confidence in you is irrelevant. But we have confidence in the Lord that the Lord is working in you. And what is he talking about? He says that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Here's the thing that you have to decide as you pray for your loved ones. Pray for wayward kids and grandkids. You don't have to decide whether you trust them. You have to decide whether you trust God with them. That's the wonderful thing about prayer, see? See? Prayer is not about praying for your kid, or praying to your kids or grandkids or or loved ones that they're gonna get right. Chances are, all the praying you might do to them wouldn't change it. But prayer is about praying to God touching them. And knowing that the Lord has a plan for their life. God loves them more than you love them. God has a plan in it. Man, that blesses me. Hey listen, our confidence is not in them. Our confidence is in Him. And we're praying to him, and we're asking that he will be faithful, and the Lord is always faithful. So we can have confidence. then finally, I think we can have confidence in intercessory prayer because of the lord's power. It says, "And the Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. the Lord's able to direct the heart. I can't direct the heart. I've learned that. I can't change what people... Listen, I can't even change people's actions, let alone their attitudes and, and, and aspirations and whatever it might be. But, oh, God's able to. God's able to turn the heart. God's able to direct the heart. God's able to do what I can't do and what you can't do. And the question is whether we'll pray and whether we'll take it to the Lord and ask God to do what we're unable to do. Listen, some of y'all got loved ones, kids and grandkids that you're praying for and you're burdened for. And I know it's hard, and it gets wearisome. And you pray for them day after day, and it weighs heavy on you. Don't give up praying for because praying for other people works. It's scriptural. Intercessory prayer is vital. We owe it to the Lord. We owe it to them. And we ought to keep on... And maybe there's somebody that you haven't been faithful enough in praying for that God burdened your heart with. Tonight would be a good night to find a place around this altar and start that afresh and anew with our.